the uh, passage that I'm going to be, uh, be preaching from this morning is really just, just one verse, really just, just three little words in, uh, in Matthew 6, verse 10. I'm preaching this as part of the, the larger section of what is known as the Lord's Prayer. So I'm going to, to read that whole prayer and send my message. I'll just be focusing really on those three little words that mean so much. Matthew 6, 9. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Let's pray one more time together before I begin. sons and daughters, praying that you would hear our prayer. Lord, we pray that you would cause your kingdom to come. Lord, we pray that you would cause your kingdom to come in us, that our hearts would be increasingly submitted to you. Every part of our lives lived for you and for your glory. Lord, that we would seek to advance your kingdom in our prayers and in the, the proclamation of the gospel. Lord, we pray that your kingdom would come in your church. Lord, we pray that, that you would help us as a church family, as this local community of believers, help us to be faithful in, in believing and proclaiming your word. Help us, Lord, to live lives that were accurately and increasingly accurately reflect the gospel. Lord, help us to see the privilege that we have to, to share the gospel with, with those around us, with our loved ones, those we love so much. And we want them to love you as well. Lord, I, I pray that, that you would cause your gospel to be advanced, not just in this church, but in, in all churches, in, everywhere that, that you are, are, are King and Lord. Help these churches to stay faithful. And, and Lord, I pray that where there's, there, there's churches that, that have rejected your word, I pray that there would be wholesale repentance so that you not remove your candlestick from their midst. Lord, I pray that your church and your, and your people would advance the gospel and that there would be conversions, that your kingdom would come through people coming to faith in Christ. And Lord, finally, I pray also, as you tell us to pray, come, Lord Jesus. Lord, we want to see your return. Lord, we look forward to the time that, that we will be with you forever. Help us as your people to be living for that day now, praying for you to come, looking for your coming, Loving you in, in hopes of the reality of the consummation of your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What are you living for? What is your life all about? How do you define success? What is the greatest treasure you could ever imagine receiving. There is a treasure 
that is worth more than all of your possessions put together. If you understood the value of this treasure, you would gladly sell everything that you have in order to gain it. In fact, even if you could gain the whole world, it would not even come close to the value of this treasure. You will not find this treasure on a treasure map. You will not find this treasure with a lottery ticket. You find this treasure with prayer. With prayer. I'm talking, of course, about the kingdom of God. And Jesus taught this very principle in Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up, and then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. What are you living for? Just think about your typical day. You get up, you get dressed, you take care of your family responsibilities, you eat breakfast, you, you go to work or you get to work around the house, come home, eat dinner, relax for a bit, go to bed, and start the cycle all over again. Now all these things are good and important, but why do you do any of these things? Why do you get up in the morning? Why do you take care of your family? Why do you, do you work at home or, or work around the house? Why do you relax? Why do you seek to get a good night's sleep? What are all of these things for? Why do you do what you do? Let me ask this another way. Do you do what you do as an end unto itself or as a means to an end? If it's as a means to an end, what end? Is it for your own enjoyment, for your own satisfaction, or for something else? People tend to, to do good things like, like work, but, but they do it for, for merely temporal rewards. They, they do it because they want to advance their, their own career or they, they want to, to pad their bank account. Many people even in their families, they, they raise their families because they want their families to be respectable. But really, quite often they're doing it just so their families reflect well on them. If you're doing what you do, even if it's something for, for a, a humanitarian aim, if you do anything, and it's not ultimately about, as we saw last week, doing it for the glory of God. This morning, as we'll see, for the advance of His kingdom, and next week, as we'll see, in submission to His will, if it's not for those things, then it's all for nothing. It's all for nothing. Now again, that doesn't mean that, that, we, that, that these things are not important. It doesn't mean that we, we, we stop seeking to raise our families well or, or seeking to, to, to do a good job in the workplace. It doesn't mean that we stop living life, but it means we begin to live life for something else, for something greater. 
see, many of us are really living for the advance of our own kingdom, for the kingdom of self. But the reality is, your kingdom is just an illusion. It is just an illusion. Only what is done for the glory of God, the advance of his kingdom, and according to his will, only those things are what will last. As missionary C.T. Studd said, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. I've already asked you what your, your typical day is like. What about your typical Sunday? If you're like most, most churchgoers, your, your, your Sunday is probably similar to every other day of the week with one exception. You, you do the things that, that you would that you would normally do except you go to church. You go to church. Well, that's a good thing, right? Well, I need to ask you the same question that I asked earlier. Why do you do this? Why do you go to church? What are you trying to do in going to church? Are you trying to get praise from, from people, from other people? Or are you trying to earn points with God? Again, if you are not doing it for the glory of God, the advance of His kingdom, and because that's what He wants you to do according to His will, then it will also fade to nothing. It means nothing. This passage that is commonly known as the Lord's Prayer comes in the middle of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Beyond question, the greatest sermon that was ever preached. You find it in your Bible in, in Matthew chapters 5 to 7. In this sermon, Jesus was teaching how the Pharisees, with their man-centered, self-righteous religion, was diametrically opposed to true religion. The true religion. Jesus is teaching the nature of true worship. The nature of true worship. That is the context of our Lord's teaching here in the first part of Matthew 10. When Jesus teaches us to pray, your kingdom come. You know that even your prayers can be an effort to advance your own kingdom. Jesus had just been teaching that in verses 5 to 8 about, about people who are, are praying in order to, to get kudos from other people. For people to say, wow, look how spiritual that guy is. He prays all day long. But it had nothing to do with God, with honoring God. This, in this passage, Jesus first talks about almsgiving, about giving to the poor, but he says it's it's, it's, if it's not for, for me, if it's not for God, then it's nothing. The same with prayer, the same with, with fasting. If you are not doing it for the glory of God, the advance of His kingdom, and according to, in submission to His will, then it is for nothing. For nothing. In this passage, and in, really in this whole sermon, Jesus is describing the character of a citizen of the kingdom of God. He's saying, this is who you are, and this is how you should behave. Again, this is the, the second petition of what is commonly called the Lord's Prayer, but, but really, this is, is not 
technically the, the right name. It's, it's not really the Lord's Prayer. It's, it's, it's better named, some would call it the Disciples' Prayer or, or the Pattern Prayer, or as I'm calling it, the Model Prayer. This prayer is meant to be a model. It is meant to frame your praying. It is meant to show you not exactly the precise words to say, but what you should pray. Jesus doesn't say, pray this. He says, pray like this. Pray these concepts. Pray according to these ideas. The first petition, as we saw last week, is hallowed be your name. And we talked about how all of our lives, really, and in, in this context specifically, your prayer life, is to be, first and foremost, for the exalting of God's name. That everything in your life is meant to be for that. And it's a prayer realizing you can't do that. Apart from God's work in your heart by His Holy Spirit. And this, this petition, the second one, your kingdom come, is, is very similar. It really follows logically from the prayer for God's name to be hallowed because, because God's name will never be hallowed as it should be until His kingdom comes in its fullness. But as people pray that now, that, that they would begin to grow and be able to, to increasingly glorify God and increasingly be able to, to live their lives for the advancement of His kingdom. And then the next petition, the third one, is like it. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's will is already be done in, is being done perfectly in heaven. So again, the, the prayer is that... that in the, 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 the kingdom of God will, will continually advance so that God's will is increasingly done. These, these first three petitions are tied closely together. So with this second petition, Jesus is teaching us that we should pray for the advance and the establishment of God's kingdom. Again, that's what God's kingdom is. It is His reign. It is His rule. It is the kingdom of God, and it is the kingdom of Christ. The kingdom of God is one of the most prominent themes in the Scriptures. Adolf Zafir says the kingdom of God is the summary of the whole Scripture revelation from Genesis to the Apocalypse. It reveals the purpose, the hidden meaning, and the final consummation of all history. There's another kingdom as well. This kingdom is at war with God's kingdom and has been since the beginning. Speaking of the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of darkness. And the story of the Bible is really the story of the war between, between these two kingdoms, between the, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. Ever since the Garden of Eden, the war has raged between these two kingdoms. From the temptation to Eve, to the, the killing of Abel, to the wickedness on the earth before the flood, to the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, to the captivity in Egypt, to the rebellion in, in the wilderness, to the rampant wickedness in the period of the judges, to Israel's idolatry, right to the crucifixion of Jesus, and to the, the persecution of the church and the abomination of the Antichrist, you can see in the Bible that God's kingdom is at war with Satan's kingdom. Throughout the Bible, you can see that there is war. And, and if, if you were to, to take just a, a superficial, superficial glance at it, you would, would miss what's really happening. You would miss the, the current, the thread that runs all the way through the Bible, 
from Genesis to Revelation, and that is the theme of redemption. It is the, the theme of God's kingdom that is coming, that has come, and that will come. All the way through, even there in the garden, when you see the, the serpent, <laughs> Satan, tempting Jesus, or rather tempting Eve, what does God do? He says that the seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head. The seed of the woman points to Jesus. He will destroy Satan and his kingdom. You can see that in the, the, in the, the period of, of prior to the flood, where with the wickedness that was in the world, you can see that, that God preserved Noah and his family. You can see this also with, with Sodom and Gomorrah, how God preserved Lot and his daughters. Or in the captivity in Egypt, how the, the, the Passover, the sacrifice of that lamb, pointed ahead to the sacrifice of Jesus. All through the Old Testament and into the New, we see this current of redemption. And even though it looks like Satan is winning, he is already defeated. You can see the war between these two kingdoms in the rest of world history as well, with, with slavery and racism and immorality that runs rampant. You can see it in the, the hundreds of millions that were killed in war just in the last century. You can, you can see it, let alone with the 1.4 billion babies who have been murdered by abortion since 1980. 1.4 billion. The kingdom of Satan is at war with the kingdom of God. But even in that wickedness, there is a thread of redemption here as well. Many in this church bear testimony to the redemption that they have received in Christ for forgiveness for, for, for some of these very sins that I'm talking about. There's a thread of redemption. It might not always look like it, but the kingdom of God is advancing. John the Baptist announced the coming of Christ with the words, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand in Matthew 3, 2. And Jesus began his ministry, his, his ministry with the exact same words, the proclamation in Matthew 4, 17. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But there's one very big difference. When Jesus announced the arrival of the kingdom, he was speaking about the arrival of himself. Is speaking about the arrival of himself. J.I. Packard tells us, indeed, one might say that as God, as the Son of God incarnate, Jesus is the kingdom of God in person. The incarnation of Christ was the inauguration of the kingdom. So, so Jesus, when he came to earth, the kingdom had arrived on the earth. Not in its full form. We await the final consummation. But when God took on flesh, human flesh, and dwelt among men, he was inaugurating his kingdom. And the kingdom of God was one of the most prominent themes in Jesus' ministry. Just in Matthew, Matthew's gospel account, Jesus spoke of the kingdom of God 33 times. 
And just in the Sermon on the Mount, these three chapters, he spoke of it three times. Sorry, eight times in these three chapters. The kingdom of God was inaugurated with the incarnation of Christ. And so in that sense, the kingdom has already come. And in another sense, the kingdom is, is already here and has always been here. We'll talk about that in a moment too. Yet we are called to pray, your kingdom come. With such a, a vitally important theme in scripture, it's really important that we should understand what it means to pray, your kingdom come. So what do we pray for when we, when we pray this prayer? I think that the Baptist Catechism is helpful here. It says, in the second petition, which is thy kingdom come, we pray that Satan's kingdom may be destroyed, that the kingdom of grace may be advanced, that ourselves and others be brought into it and kept in it, and that the kingdom of glory may be hastened. Thomas Watson, the Puritan, helpfully identifies three aspects of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of providence, the kingdom of grace, and the kingdom of glory. The kingdom of providence, the kingdom of grace, and the kingdom of glory. And this I see, in this I see five ways that the scripture reveals the kingdom of God. I think this will help and will inform you as you pray for God's kingdom to come. Now, they all start with letter C to help you with this. But, so the first is creation. It's a way of describing the kingdom of providence. It's, it's not the act of creation, but, but all of creation. And then under the, the kingdom of God's grace, we have three aspects. There's Christians, the, the church, and conversion. And then finally, in the kingdom of glory, we see the, the consummation, the return of Christ. And I quickly want to outline what each of these means. And I was helped by Joel Beakey in, in some of this. Again, when we, when we talk about the, the kingdom of providence, we're really talking about, about the created order of all of, of creation. And this aspect of, of the kingdom has already come. And it's already here because, because God has ruled and always will rule over all of creation. There is not one rebel Adam that does not ultimately submit to God. C.H. Spurgeon famously said that, that whether it is whether it is the, the planets tracking through the heavens or, or the speck of dust that dances in the sunlight that is sh shining through your window, none can move an atom but from God's sovereign will. God is sovereign over all. Abraham Kuyper said that there is, is, is not one square inch of the universe over which God does not cry, Mine. It's all His. It has been that way since the beginning. But we also realize that there is a war that is raging even here. We see that the kingdom of Satan. Satan is described as the, the ruler of this world in, in John 16, 11. But, but that doesn't mean that he's the ruler of this planet. It means that he's the ruler of this world system, of everything that sets itself up against God, in the, the first, two, first John 2, 16 sense, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And so Satan is leading rebellion against God and against his kingdom. Yet he and all who follow him will be destroyed 
by God. The next aspect of the kingdom of God is the kingdom of grace. And again, under this, under this head, we have three parts. We have, we have Christians, the church, and conversion. So first of all, when we, when we pray, God, your kingdom come, we're really praying that the kingdom of, of God would be advanced in us. We're, we're praying that, 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 that in our heart, in our mind, in our will, in our, reflect, our affections will, will increasingly come under submission to God. That we'll rightly view Him as the King of our life, as the Lord of our life. Let me ask you, let me ask you this. How much time have you spent praying this week? Or studying scripture? Or thinking about God? Or telling others about Him? Now I know that many here are growing in these things. But it's safe to say that none of us have done any of these things to the extent that we should. So you need to pray that God's kingdom will come in you. Pray that God's kingdom will come in you. Now, now we know, we understand that, 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 that God is sovereign. We understand that He's in control of all things. But we also know that the scriptures teach man's responsibility. God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. We know that God's elect are predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. We, we pray, God, help me to be more like my King. Help, to be, help me to be more like King Jesus. You know that God is sovereign, that He says He will do this and He will do it. But the scriptures also teach that we have a responsibility. Now, unlike salvation, which is entirely a work of God, Sanctification is a work of both God and you. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to work according to His good pleasure. God's sovereignty, man's responsibility, they work together. And one of the ways that, that you have a responsibility is to pray, God, your kingdom come in me. In me. So if you are here this morning as a Christian, if you are a born-again follower of Jesus Christ, you have already been delivered from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of His beloved Son, Colossians 1.13. You are a citizen of the kingdom of God. You're a citizen of the kingdom of God. He has given you everything you need in order to live a life that is pleasing to Him. He's given you the church to walk with you, to encourage you, to spur you on to love and good deeds. He's given you his word to order your life. He's given you his spirit to empower you, to guide you into truth. He's given you his son. You have what you need. You're already a citizen of the kingdom of God, and now by God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, you work and you grow towards what God is calling you to. But remind yourself who you are. Remind yourself that you are a citizen of God's kingdom. Remind yourself that you are a son or a daughter of the Most High God. Remind yourself of these truths. Bask in them. Meditate on them. 
Preach them to yourself and pray them. Pray that God will help you to grow in those areas. And maybe it's that area that you are thinking about at this very moment. But this is not just about you. That there is no, no such thing as a lone ranger Christian. All of the petitions in, in this prayer, in, in this model prayer, are corporate. You look at the pronouns. Our Father, give us, forgive us, lead us, deliver us. This is all plural. It's what the church prays for each other, not just for themselves. So that's the second aspect. When you, when you pray that, that God's kingdom would be advanced, you pray that God's kingdom would come, you pray that, that God's kingdom would be advanced in and through the church. The advance of the kingdom requires unity. It requires unity in Christ. Now unity in doctrine is vitally important too. We cannot have unity in Christ without unity in those core doctrines. But it's unity in Christ that will help you to work through different. It'll help you to, to, to approach brothers and sisters with, with mutual love and submission. Unity is first and foremost unity in Christ. And so we pray for this. To pray for the advance of the kingdom is to pray that the church would be unified in Christ, also to be unified in doctrine, to be unified in service, to, to seek opportunities. When you, when you come to church on a Sunday morning just to say, what's in it for me? You don't want to say that. You want to say, how can I serve others? How can I serve others? That, that's how you're, when, when you listen to the music or when you listen to the, the, the proclamation of God's word, instead of just, just sitting in judgment of these things, you're participating in these things. Seeking ways to help in these things. Seeking ways to, to serve in the church, to serve and to love your brothers and sisters. You know, we saw that just yesterday with, with the way people came together to help the Hubbards with their mood. We, we've seen this in, in many different ways, how, how people come and clean in the church. People take care of, 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 of practical things. We've got Eric up on the roof. Do you realize that, that God hasn't just given the church to you, He has given you to the church? And this isn't just about an hour and a half on Sunday morning. This is about life together. You know, I'd love to see people who, who are. are, are, are eager to come out. When it, it's not, I'm not saying you're going to be at the church wherever, whenever it's, the doors are open. I'm not saying that. But I would, I would love to see people, more people coming out on Wednesday nights. To, what would you rather do? What is more important for you to do than to pray and to study God's Word with your family, with your Christian family? I mean, I get it. People have responsibilities. But where's your priorities? What are you living for? Is it for just you, or is it for the church? Do you want to see the kingdom advanced in the church? But we don't just pray that the kingdom would, would be advanced in our local church. We, we pray also for other churches around the city and around the country and around the world, that, 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 that God would advance his kingdom through those churches. We pray also for missions. We pray for our brothers and sisters who are being persecuted. We, we pray that the people of God would hold fast to 
the Word of God, and the power of the Holy Spirit to continue to be a testimony, to continue to advance the kingdom of God. The church is at war. We are at war with the kingdom of Satan. But the Christian army advances on its knees. We don't fight using violence. We fight with prayer. We fight using the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, Ephesians 6, 17. That the weapons of a warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power for the pulling down of strongholds, 2 Corinthians 10, 4. The violence is not the way of the citizen of the kingdom of God. It's the exact opposite. In Matthew 5, 10, Jesus taught, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. The kingdom suffers violence. Matthew eleven twelve. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. We are living in the days of the church militant. The church is at war. But one day we will be the church triumphant. When Christ comes back to his own. We also pray when we pray that God's kingdom would come. We, we pray that the kingdom would be advanced through, through conversion. What, when you pray for your unbelieving loved ones, your family members, your, your friends, your, your neighbors, your co-workers, you are seeking to advance the kingdom of God. That's what it means to, to pray this prayer. When you pray that the gospel would be advanced throughout the world, you're helping to, you are helping to advance the kingdom of God. When, when you pray that the message of Jesus, of, of his sinless life, that, that, that he died for, uh, for our sins, that he was punished by the Father for us, that he rose again on the third day to show that God was, was satisfied with that sacrifice. When we, when we tell people and, and pray that the gospel would be advanced, that, that, that we need to repent and put our faith in Jesus, you're advancing the kingdom of God. Now, for, for those who are not in the kingdom of God, for those who are, are, are still citizens of the kingdom of Satan, and remember, there's only two kingdoms. There's only two. You're part of one or you're part of the other. You're either a child of God or you're a child of darkness, Ephesians 5.8. You're either a citizen of the kingdom of Satan or you're a citizen of the kingdom of God. If you're here as a, as a citizen of the kingdom of Satan, you need to understand that your life is lived in rebellion against God. But the great commandment is that you are to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength, and that you are to love your neighbor as yourself. Anything less than that is sin. Apart from God's work in our hearts, our entire lives are lived for the pursuit of sin. Of that which is abominable in God's eyes. But you do not have to remain as a citizen of the kingdom of Satan. You can transfer your citizenship. You can become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven by repenting of your sins and putting your faith in Jesus. The door is open for you. Jesus is the door. Come to Him. Come through Him. You can change your citizenship. For those
those who are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. When you pray for the advance of the gospel, you're participating in the Great Commission. You're participating in the work of evangelism. You're participating in the great work of missions. When, when you pray for the Shanes, when, when you pray for the Judases, when you pray for the Jubelos, you are helping to advance the kingdom of God. Many of us have heard of William Carey, the father of the modern missions movement. But how many have heard of, of Joshua Marshman, or William Ward, or John Sutcliffe, or Andrew Fuller, or John Ryland, and Samuel Pierce? They were friends of William Carey. And in the years prior to William Carey going to India, these men got together regularly to pray together for the advance of the gospel through missions. And then when William Carey left, for India, these men stayed behind and prayed for him faithfully. Not many people know their names, but because of these men, many more people know the name of Christ. People might not remember your name, that's okay, but if through your prayers, through your ministry, people know the name of Christ, then praise God. Mission accomplished, you have helped to advance the kingdom of God. Finally, when we pray for the, the kingdom of God, we're talking also about the kingdom of glory. We're praying that the kingdom would come in the return of Jesus. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Again, Jesus was inaugurated in his incarnation and he will fulfill his kingdom in his return. When you begin to pray, come Lord Jesus, couple things happen. The, as far as you're aware, the first thing that's going to happen is you are going to begin to be changed. As you pray for the return of Jesus, you are going to increasingly live for his return. You're going to increasingly pray for his return. And you're going to increasingly share the gospel with others. You're going to, you're going to start to, to, to live less for the things of, of this life and start to live more for the things of the kingdom of God. Again, we're talking here also about God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. God ordains the ends and he's also ordained the means. There's mystery here. That the day for Christ's return has already been set, but he still calls us to pray. And so one of the ways that he has decreed that he would work is through your prayers. When you pray, come Lord Jesus. It's so easy to get bogged down in the things of this life. Think about the joys of heaven. Think about a return to, to walk in, in fellowship with God. Think about that moment when, when Jesus first comes back. When you look in, your, in the eyes of your Savior. The one who died for your sins. And to know that that moment will never end that you will be with Jesus forever and ever and ever. When you really begin to think about this, that the pleasures of this world start to fade into the background. No more temptation. No more sin. No more pain. No more relational strife. No more disease. No more 
anything unpleasant for God's people. But the greatest thing that we want to see when we pray, your kingdom come, is again that God's name would be hallowed. That God's name would get the, the glory that he deserves. That God would get the glory that he deserves. That, that, the, that God's will will be perfectly done. This is what is going to happen in God's people when his kingdom comes in its fullness. But we also see there the end of the war against the kingdom of, of Satan and all of his people will be cast into the lake of fire, will face eternal conscious torment. So when we pray that God's kingdom come, there's also an element where we're asking that judgment would come. But until that time, we're praying, come. Come into God's kingdom. Receive life in Jesus Christ, the sinless Savior, the only Savior. God's grace live for the kingdom of God 